Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 4. And we've gone through a few chapters now in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4 specifically opens up the second section of this book where it speaks about now what we do for God in response of what He has done for us. Oftentimes we become very frustrated, very discouraged and trying to do something for God without understanding first what He's done for us. But now that we know what He's done for us, that, that He made us alive who were dead people spiritually, that He seated us in heavenly places, in chapter 4 it begins now to speak about our walk, our spiritual walk. Because here Paul is encouraging the believers in Ephesus that they would continue to walk towards sanctification. They gave their life to Jesus Christ. They've been saved. They've been redeemed. They're forgiven now by the blood of Jesus. But now as they have been set free from the penalty of their sin, and we as well, now we have to walk worthy of our calling. And here he expresses in chapter 4 that we're called to be one people. We're called to unity. So if we're called to be one people, we're called to unity. But we're also called to be holy people. And if we're called to be holy people, we're called also to purity. We're called to purity. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, God's Word tells us, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And here he's going to explain how we ought to walk a holy life. How many times have we heard, you can talk the talk, but can you walk it now? Let me see you walk the talk. Let me see you put shoes on it and make it walk. And today that's exactly what we want to do. We want to put shoes on this, this doctrine that we've learned the truths that we're learning, and that we would live them out. So there in chapter 4, verse 17, he's telling the church to be consistent. There's a need for us as a church today in a world that's going darker and darker that we would be consistent about how we live our lives. That between the child of God, there should never be an inconsistency between your profession of faith and actually your action. That the Christian walk, there should be no difference. There should be a profession, and then there should be an action, and it should match together. And that we would live a life that is different from the life of those in the world. That there would be an outward manifestation of the inward Holy Spirit living in our lives. Just ask yourself today, what makes you different than the unbeliever that doesn't know Jesus? Does your life look different? Do people understand that there's something different about you? That it's the love of God. There's the Spirit of God in you. There's something different about you because now you have a new standard of living. I want you to know that. You have a new standard of living. That's what makes you different than the rest of the world. That you're living for Jesus now. So today we're going to take off our grave clothes, the, the clothes that we wore before as the old men and women before Christ, and we're going to put on the grace clothes. We're covered in the grace of God. So what does he say here in chapter 4? You can't live your new life the old way. You have a new life now. And because you have a new life, that means you also have a new lifestyle. 
Would you remember that? Write that down today. You have a new life, and with that new life comes a new lifestyle. So don't unsay with your life on Monday, don't unsay with your life on Monday what you said with your lips on Sunday. Right? We come to church on Sunday, we praise the Lord, we raise our hands, we, we profess our faith. But on Monday through Friday, our faith must show itself out in works, living it out, exercising it. So we're going to read it here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word? And I'm going to read the odd verses, and I'm going to encourage you to read the even verses. Ephesians 4, verse 17. It says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work uncleanness with greediness. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, Lord. It's alive, it's living, it's powerful. And we ask that today, Lord, you would give us the strength, Lord, the power to live our lives in a consistent way that honors you. That we live lives, God, that would bring you glory, that would bring you praise. So, Lord, teach us, reveal to us, expose those areas in our hearts, Lord, that we need to deal with today, that we need to put off, so that we would put on, Lord, the new clothes, the clothes of righteousness. Soften our heart, open our mind to receive as if this message was just for us personally. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. You may be seated. We're going to see three different things in those few verses this morning. Number one, that Paul gives them an exhortation. An exhortation about how they should live their lives. He speaks of, number two, a transformation. And then finally, a renovation. An exhortation, a transformation, and a renovation. It says this in verse 17. This I say, therefore, testifying in the Lord. This I say, therefore. Now Paul is saying, in light of everything I've already explained to you, I'm testifying in the Lord or with the Lord's authority. Do you see that he's speaking at a, as a spokesman of the Lord? I'm speaking with the Lord's authority about this. Because you're called into one body. Because you're called to submit under the head who is Christ, the body of Christ. Because He's given you spiritual gifts now by the Holy Spirit to now benefit the body of Christ. Because of these things, because we're growing together in unity, we're growing together in maturity. Because of these things, here comes the exhortation. And the exhortation comes with an examination of the old man. Notice, as we read these verses we're going to examine our own lives that these things don't exist in the inner person. That no longer are we allowing these things in our lives. Because he says this, verse 17, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. 
In these verses, he's explaining to us what not to do. Before he tells us what to do, he's, he's going to tell us what not to do. I'm going to give you instructions, Paul is saying, and I'm admonishing you, I'm teaching you that you would no longer walk. This is the second time he uses this word walk now. What is he expressing? What is he referring to? A daily conduct. He was referring to what Paul already said about the believer's high calling there in chapter 4, verse 1, that we should walk worthy of the calling in with which we were called. You as a believer today, we are called to walk worthy. What does it mean worthy? It speaks of that word when you would go out to the marketplace and you would purchase fruit or meat or some kind of product. They would bring out the scales. And they would bring your product out and put it on one side of the scale and, and measure it to know how much it was balanced in weight. Where he's saying the same thing about our walk. That you would put your walk on the scale now and it would be equally balanced with your calling, right? So what he's saying here is that you would bring your practice, your life, up to your position. That you would bring your conduct up to your calling. That it would be equal in weight. That it would be balanced. So with that being said, that you should live a consistent life, he says, I, I'm exhorting you that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That you wouldn't live as the rest of the Gentiles. He's referring to people that are immoral, that have not given their lives to Christ, that are living for this world. And he says this, stop living like them. Stop denying the true one God. Stop denying this standard of morality. Have you noticed that because this world has rejected the truth of God's Word, the standard of morality, every day and year it seems that is going lower and lower the morality level. That no longer is right, right, and wrong is wrong. It's become opposites. It's whatever seems good in the eyes of man. Here he's saying don't live like the rest of this world. In fact, live in a different way than the world does around us. Now, there is a tendency oftentimes as the Christian, as a church, that with misguided efforts, we want to gain the world's respect, right? And how can I connect with the world so I can reach them? How can I win their approval so that I can evangelize to them? But this has to be resisted at all costs. We're not called to connect to the world. We're not called to connect to the culture. Someone recently told me, you know what? The church needs to engage with their culture. No, it doesn't. The church needs to connect with the Holy Spirit and then connect other people to the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what it needs to do. We have a responsibility to not connect people to ourselves, but that people would be connected to Jesus. That people would know Jesus Christ. So we should never want to win the approval of the world. The respect of the world. Don't water down your convictions. Don't compromise when it comes to your, to your walk. In fact, what he's saying, you should live a life that is radically different than the unconverted person. So never compromise, he's saying. In the name of connecting with someone, now your own life and walk with the Lord. Don't compromise that for the name of connecting with people. Don't live as the rest of the unbelievers do. Don't imitate their life of the insane person. There has to be a difference. There has to be a separation. Why? Because you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And if He made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, notice what happens here. They're not alive. <laughs> and they should see the difference in your walk. 1 John 
chapter 2, verse 6. Notice what it says. Write this down. He who says he abides in him, if you say you abide in Jesus, if you say you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he ought himself to walk just as he walked. If you say you know Jesus, then your walk should show it. Your life should show it. As a Christian, I want you to know this. We have a proper way and a proper place to walk. A proper way and a proper place to walk. And Jesus, as we've come to Him, is teaching us that right direction that we must progress in that direction. Not in the passions and the lusts of the life before Christ. So He describes now four different characteristics. I want you to pay attention to these and maybe jot these down of the ungodly lifestyle that we have to forsake. So he's saying, I don't want you to live like the rest of the Gentiles that don't know Jesus Christ. In fact, their lives are given over to these four ungodly characteristics. Notice, he begins with the first one in verse 17. In the futility of their mind. How do they walk? Number one, in the futility of their mind. You see, the unregenerate person, the ungodly mind, Walks in futility. What does it mean, futility? and emptiness. The mind is empty now. It's filled with things that lead to nothing. To nothingness. In fact, you know what that word futile means? It's a different word or another word for vanity. That's exactly what this world wants today. What is it? The vanity fair of culture. And people are chasing vanity. Everything that is vain. Don't live in a life wanting to imitate the vanity of this world because it's emptiness. In fact, the futility of their mind speaks of a person that is confused hopelessly and their their understanding has become darkened. That everything that we would do without Christ in that type of mindset, notice it speaks of a mindset, leads to no substantial purpose. You're trying different things, but nothing makes you happy. There's no meaning. Why? Because you don't know God. And you don't understand the world around you. You don't even understand yourself at the time. You have an unreceptive mind. This mindset is unreceptive. It's not receiving the things of God. It's irresponsive to the things of God. Unproductive now about godly things. In fact, that that type of mindset cannot think straight about the matters of faith and about the matters of morals. It's, they're, they're walking after the futility, emptiness, and vanity. You can't think straight about morality. You cannot think straight now about the matters of faith. You don't understand this. You can't receive them. Paul told the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 about the natural man with this type of mindset. He said, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You know, we in our natural state before Christ, we didn't understand these things. But when God came into our lives and saved us through Jesus Christ, you know what He renewed? He renewed our mind. And now we open the Bible, we understand what God is saying to us. Now we're understanding His purpose for our lives. You think about people that don't know Christ oftentimes and they look at your life and they think you're weird, Right? Well, I can't believe it. You were at church two days already. Friday and Saturday. You're telling me you're going back to church again on Sunday? Yes, I am. Because I want to fellowship with the believers. Because I want to be there with my brothers and sisters. 
That's my family. I want to praise the Lord. That's where I belong there. And the world oftentimes possesses a great deal of knowledge, but very little wisdom. What is it that the world prides itself in? In knowledge. The world always will pride itself in knowledge. But as a believer, as a spiritual person, we have to say, Lord, I don't simply want knowledge. I don't want information. I want revelation. That's wisdom that comes from Your Word. Revelation. Wisdom that comes from Your, from your Word. Because the natural person in our natural state, in our sinful state, you know what happened? Is that we, we gave ourselves over to that natural state. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, Paul tells us about this. In fact, he says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, man, in his sinful nature, God gave them over to a debased mind, a mindset that was reprobate. What is a debased mind, a feudal mind? Talk about a mind that has been broken. A mindset that doesn't work. But we are not to walk after that same mindset. So what matters in your walk with the Lord? Why is this so important? Because both the heart and the mind are important in your walk with God. Would you remember that today? Both your heart and your mind are important. And what you let into your mind will come out of your heart and your mouth. You have to be very careful what you entertain in your mind. Because if garbage comes into your mind, guess what's going to come out? Garbage is going to come out of your mind. It's going to come out of your thoughts. It's going to come out of your lips. So here he's speaking, number one, of the condition of the mind. Salvation begins, yes, with the work of God, of grace. But you know what happens now? We make a decision with our mind. And the Lord changes our mind now. The place where we make our decisions about how we're going to live our lives. So he's saying here, there's a difference between the saved and the unsaved mindset. What happens? Your whole worldview changes. The things that you used to be drawn to, you're not drawn to those things anymore. You're attracted to new things. Now, it changes the person's mind when we put our trust in God, including our values. Think about that. Your values have changed now. Your goals change. The way that you interpret life changes. Why? Because God has transformed your life and He also transforms your mind. So do not walk, he says, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the empty, vain mindset. Not only an empty, vain mindset, but notice what it leads. Number two, this second characteristic. They're alienated from the life of God. An empty, vain mindset, a futile mindset, reprobate mind. What does it do? It alienates you from the life with God. It separates you from the life with God. And this is exactly what he's saying. Verse 18, having their understanding, again, their mindset darkened. Being alienated from the life of God. You see, a futile mind has become a dark mind. An empty mind. And this darkness leads to spiritual deadness. This is why he said you're alienated from God because of that mindset. Don't live like the rest of the people live that are not walking after Christ with a mindset after this world because it leads you to a dark, empty life, spiritually dead. In fact, notice the two reasons that support this there in verse 18. It says being alienated from the life of God because, here's the first reason, of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the ignorance that is in them. 
They wander from the life of God. Why? Because of their spiritual ignorance. They don't get it. They don't understand. Why? They've rejected the truth. They don't know any better now. You see, with that mindset, you don't know any better. You can't spiritually discern between the things that you should be doing and the things that you shouldn't be doing. Why? Because you rejected the truth. It's a futile, vain mind. And because of that, it has separated you from God. Not only because of spiritual ignorance, look at the other evidence. It says there in verse 18, because of the blindness of their heart. Not only are they spiritually ignorant, but they can't see. They don't understand. They can't spiritually see. This is the fundamental problem in the person that is an unbeliever. What's the problem? The heart. The problem of the heart now. And their heart now doesn't see. It's not only shown in their denial of God and their spiritual ignorance, but also in the moral failure. It says their hearts are blind. And because they're spiritually ignorant, because their hearts are blind, now they're separated from God. That, that, that line there, that verse there in verse 18 where it says the blindness of their heart, it speaks of the condition of the heart. It says their hearts are hard like a rock. Have you ever tried to evangelize to someone and it just seems like nothing is getting through to them? That their mind does not want to accept the truth. It almost speaks like of the parable of the now sower that he sowed seed oftentimes on hard soil, on hard ground. What says the person that has the feudal mind, they've been separated from God because of their spiritual ignorance and because of the hardness of their heart. They've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against Him. Did you know that you'll never be able to have a real relationship with Christ if you have closed your mind and hardened your heart? That's why when we go to God's Word every single day, you should pray, Lord, I, I pray that you would open my mind to receive, open my heart that I would hear that this message would be as if you're speaking directly to me. Right? Oftentimes people go up to me after a service and say, you know what, I, Pastor, I love that message. That message was for my wife. <laughs> Next week, same person comes up to me. You know what, that message was so good. I'm bummed because my son didn't come. That message was for him. Brother, was it ever for you? The message is for us. So we have to say, Lord, today I pray that I would not have a futile mind, a, a vain mind. That I would say, Lord, open my mind, soften my heart, so that I would receive everything that you had for me. Paul told Timothy the very same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. He says, always learning. These people that profess to know God, they think they know God, they talk about God, they maybe share that they have a relationship with God. They're always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Think about it. You think you have so much knowledge, but you never come to the right knowledge, the knowledge of the truth, because your heart has become hard, because your mind is empty with futile thoughts, and now you have been alienated from a life with God. You know what's the result of that? The futile mind. The alienation from God. Here in verse 19, it, it speaks of the person here, the third characteristics that we should forsake, who being past feeling. Being past feeling. The hardness of heart. Notice the condition of the heart here. It literally means here they have abandoned themselves. They have abandoned themselves. Past 
feeling now. They're numb. In fact, they, they live such a life that's alienated from God because of their thoughts, because of their heart, but they do not feel conviction any longer because of the callousness that is now formed around their heart now. They have no sense of shame, no sense of guilt. And the hardness of heart, you know what it does to a person? The hardness of heart will always enslave you. It always enslave you. So that you cannot grow, so you cannot get closer to the Lord. The hardness of heart is insensitive to the moral darkness around us. It's hardened now. That hardness of heart, it's hardened by years of sin. It's hardened by bitterness. It's hardened by unforgiveness. Now, it's past the point of feeling any type of pain now. So he's saying their hearts have been hardened. They're morally, spiritually unsensitive. Why? Because they refuse the truth. And you've been now given over to sin. Now, verse 19, they're past that feeling. No longer do they feel conviction. That's, that's one of the scariest places to be in. Well, you no longer are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know what it says? You walked away from God. You walked away from the Lord. And I'll tell you, the first time you compromise in one area, it's going to be very difficult. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you. But as you allow that to come into your life, that sin to come into your life, then it starts to build callousness around your heart. And then the next time you're tempted, it becomes a little easier. The next time you're tempted, it's even easier to the point where you don't even have to make a decision. You give yourself over to it. And that's exactly what he says here. Being past feeling here, notice number four, the characteristic that we should forsake. It says, They've given themselves over to lewdness. This is what happens when you have a hard heart. You give yourself over to lewdness, to sin. The things that used to bring you conviction no longer bring you conviction. And the separation that used to be there between you and the unbeliever no longer is there. So you accept everything in your life that you should not accept. And you just give yourself everything while everything counts now. No longer honoring the Lord. It says they've given themselves over to lewdness, to lustful pleasures, to a sin, notice verse 19, that controls them. That's what lewdness does. It controls you. This is speaking about a life without any kind of personal concern of spiritual standards. Where they're just flaunting itself, throwing itself. All restraint has gone, having no sense of shame, no sense of fear of God, a complete vile. We willingly hear in verse 19 an attitude of willingly succumbing to a now sensuality and a depravity, giving yourself over to that. In fact, verse 19, notice how it reads there is to work all uncleanness with greediness. The person that's been separated over to God with a hard heart gives himself over eagerly to practice every type of impurity. Every type of impurity, every type of unclean work. It refers here mostly to sexual sin. You see how that's all over media, it's all over the world today. Everything has to include sensuality, so it sells. Everywhere you turn, there's the sin that is being sold by the devil, by the world of sex. He said the, the person that has now has a hard heart has given themselves over to any type of impure sin. That's why today we're talking about purity, because your purity matters. And they're beginning to live for lustful, carnal desires. They, they lost any type of 
moral restraint. This is, you know what this looks like here in verse 19? A reckless life. A reckless life. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it speaks of the recklessness of our nature. We have to subject our lives. We have to crucify our lives at the cross and desires at the cross because if we don't, we'll become very reckless in our nature. What does the Bible say? Make sure you take care of your heart because it's desperately wicked. It's desperately wicked. It always wants to satisfy itself. Romans 1.24, it says this, Therefore God also gave them up. They refused the truth. God has always given, He's been so faithful to give everyone an opportunity to choose Him, but because they refused Him, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts. Notice, the problem of the heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And what did man do without God as he's rejected God? Gone over to these lewd sins, homosexuality, sensuality. The Christian cannot pattern themselves after the unsaved person because the Christian, you and I, have experienced a miracle in our lives. We used to be dead, and now we're alive in Jesus Christ. Or now we're alive in Jesus Christ. Our life is not futile. Our life is not empty. Our life is not vain. Our life has purpose. Our life has a plan. God has a purpose for our life, and that purpose is to be holy. Our mind now can be filled and flooded with the light of the Word of God. Our heart can be filled now with the fullness of God. And now our bodies is used, are, are used as instruments of righteousness. Did you know that? Your body's an instrument of righteousness. It doesn't belong to you. You can't say, this is what I want to do. It doesn't matter what you want to do. What does God want to do through you now? Because you gave your life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you know what we did when we gave our life to Jesus Christ? We gave up our rights. It's what he, what he wants to do through us, through our lives now. It's not a tool. Our bodies, our lives are not tools for sin or for satisfaction or for our own lusts. In every way, in every way, the believer is different than the unbeliever. Would you know that? In every single way. So use your body as an instrument for righteousness. Romans 6.13, he's... He says this, Paul, and do not present your body members or your bodies as members instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Present your bodies as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you remember before you came to Jesus Christ and you, you use your body to sin, right? And some people say, well, you know what? I, I really didn't have fun sinning. Yes, you did. If you didn't have fun sinning, then you probably weren't doing it right. <laughs> or you're lying. But do you remember when you just went all out to sin with your body? That It didn't matter if you slept or you didn't sleep that night, if you had to work the next day. If you, didn't, you did whatever you want to please the flesh. And so often now when we're with Jesus Christ, well, you know what? I don't think I can go to church. I had a long night. I can't go to church now. <laughs> The same way, with the same energy, Paul says in Romans, that you serve the flesh. Now, with that passion, now use that passion to serve Christ Jesus. That means that whatever it takes, I am going to do, you are going to do to please God. We're going to use our bodies to please God. This is the life here that he's describing that God rescued you from in calling you now into Christ Jesus to make sure that you don't go back and dabble into those old sins. Don't go flirting with those old sins. Don't allow them in your life. Get rid of them. 
Don't allow them. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In fact, this is what he's speaking about. He spoke first of an exhortation. Notice now a transformation. Verse 20. What does it say? But you have not so learned Christ. You're accountable now, church. You have not so learned Christ. This is not what you've learned from Christ. You didn't get this from Jesus. When you're out there, you didn't get that from Jesus. No, remember that in your mind. You didn't learn this from God. That's not what you were taught from the Word of God. It says you haven't learned this or you haven't been taught this from Christ. Now, I love that word where it says learn because not only have we learned about Christ, you've also been saved into Christ in your new birth. And you have a personal relationship with Him. You can get to know Him better each and every day. That new man, that new inner person is constantly being educated, constantly being learned into the life of Christ. So he's saying here, in contrast, your mind, your eyes have been opened to the truth. This is not what you've learned from Christ. You know the truth. You will be held accountable to the truth. That's incredible. When we come and we read God's Word today, we open His Word, you can't leave today saying, well, I didn't know. Yes, you did. We all know. We're taught right here by God's truth. We have not learned these things or these tendencies, these habits from the Lord. Now we have new values. Now you have a new set of principles that you live by now. And how, where do you find those principles? Where do you find those values at? The Word of God. I want you to know something. If you neglect your Bible, you are going to live a defeated life. You're going to live a defeated life. What are you learning from Christ? He says, this is not what you've learned from Christ. The desires of that old nature should no longer have control over your life. Those desires should not control you. In fact, verse 21, it says, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him. Have you heard Him? Have you been taught by Him? Who is He who teaches you? Jesus in His Word teaches you about Himself. He leads you to the fullness of the truth about God. You want to know God? You want to know the Father? You know Jesus. And in Him, you know the Father as well. If indeed you have heard Him, and you've been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Where's the truth? It's in Jesus. You're not ignorant about the truth. There's only one truth, and the truth is Jesus. You haven't learned that walk, that type of lifestyle from the Lord. So because we have fellowship with Christ, because we know the truth in His Word, now we should live a transformed life. How do you know more about this truth? By opening up His Word. By reading His Word. Do you remember those two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24? And Jesus just shows up next to them and He says, Hey, why are you guys so sad? They said, Well, haven't you heard? Or are you from a different town? And Jesus starts to walk with them. They start, they're walking with Jesus. Literally walking with Jesus. You know what Jesus starts to do? It says that he starts to expound the Scriptures from the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament, expounding the Scriptures about himself. <laughs> when you walk with Jesus, when you're walking with Jesus in his Word, and you're just walking with his Word with Jesus, you know what he wants to do from the Old to the New Testament? He wants you now to expound the truth of who he is to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. But it only happens as you're walking with Jesus in his Word. I want you to know something. It's, it's, it's not just about knowing about Jesus that keeps you pure. 
It must go beyond head knowledge. It must go beyond head knowledge. You, you could have been raised in the church. And you know all the stories. You know the truth of the word of God. But you're living right now in sin. You're living in disobedience. And be here at church today, right now. You know what it takes? It doesn't take only knowledge. The, the intellect of the mind. It has to go beyond head knowledge. It has to go to the heart. It has to go to the mind where it transforms your mind. Not only a set of facts that you know. But that which transforms your mindset onto the right things now. That's exactly what he's going to tell us right now. That because you have a new mindset now, it changes your entire life. Have you ever been uh, by a building now and, and it shows there a, a banner outside of the storefront, whatever it would be, and it says, under new management. And it always grabs everyone's attention. Under new management. Well, the same thing happened to us when we gave our life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came and we're under new management. Not the management of the flesh. We're under the management of the Holy Spirit now. It is not business as usual. It's now Jesus Christ or nothing. So notice what he says there in verse 22 concerning the character of the man of God. He says there in verse 22 that you put off, strip off, throw off, change into now. Throw off that old sinful nature, the old man, the former way or the former lifestyle. Throw that off already. Why are you still holding on to it? Why are you still wearing that conduct now? In fact, he gives this illustration there as if speaking of taking off dirty clothes. And this is what happens when we submit to the Lord. This is what happens in our repentance. What do we do? We're throwing off those things. I'm throwing off that friendship that doesn't honor God. I'm throwing off that relationship that doesn't honor God anymore. Somebody came up to me once, Pastor, I'm mad at you. Why is that? I brought my, my girlfriend to church, and after church, she said that, you spoke, that the message spoke to her, and she broke up with me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because <laughs> the Word of God has the power to do that. Colossians chapter 3, would you write this down? Therefore, put to death, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, put that to death, sexual sin, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is all idolatry. Notice, that's what it is. Because of these things, if you practice these things, the, the, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. It's very clear. You're not going to get away with it. Right now, if you're practicing sin behind closed doors, is there secret sin in your life? You're not going to get away with it. You may think you're fooling man, but you can't fool God. In fact, it says, but now you yourselves are to put off these. Put these things off. The old man, you would say, well, I'm, I don't have any kind of you know, secret sin. I don't have any kind of sensuality or lewdness in my life. But it says, put off also these. Put off anger. Put off anger. Put off being an angry person. Put off wrath. You're always wanting to be in contentions or malice. You have a plan behind the scenes to get back at people. Blasphemy. Filthy language. What comes out of your mouth? If you're a believer, it should change the way your mind changes. It should change the way you talk to. You should clean up your language. Clean up your vocabulary. Filthy language out of your mouth. 
put off these things. Verse 22, it says, concerning your former conduct, the old man, look how it grows. It grows three ways. The old man, corrupt, deceitful, and lustful. This is how it grows, three ways. Put off the old man, the old nature. Put that person off no more. No more of that. You're not giving that person room to dominate your life. It grows corrupt. What does it mean now? It's wearing out. It's decaying now. According to the deceitful lust. According to its Adamic nature. What does that mean? Our sinful nature. The same nature that Adam had. The nature that always wrestles against the Spirit. It grows corrupt. It's decaying. Our flesh, every single day it's decaying. And you know what it corrupts it from the inside outwardly? What decays it? Why is it corrupted? Because of the flesh. It's decaying. It's corrupted by the flesh. And notice, it's also corrupted by the deceitful lusts. I want you to understand something, that lust is deceitful. It's like a little lure that you see. Maybe you drop into the water, right? And to lure the, and bait the fish to come in. And it looks real. And it sounds good. And it looks good. And you would think, well, you know what? That, that looks really good. I'm going to go after that. And it lures you in. And then it hooks you. And then after it hooks you, notice you're in bondage to it. You're in bondage to it. So put off those things because they are deceitful lusts. They're going to lure you in. And then they're going to hook you and you're going to be in bondage to them. In fact, that's exactly what he's describing. He's saying, strip off those dirty clothes, strip them off and put on the robes of righteousness. Would you put on those robes of righteousness now? It's like Lazarus. When Lazarus was called uh, from dead to life out of that grave, what did Jesus say in John chapter 11, verse 44? Loose him and let him go. Loose him. Take off those, those grave clothes off of him. Loose him so that he can be free to walk in his new resurrected body and life. Today, do you need to be loosed from anything in your life that doesn't belong? Loosed from the old sins? Loosed from the dirty rags of, of the flesh of carnality that for so long have tied you down? Today, maybe God is saying, I want to loose you today so that you can walk with me finally. You would take off the grave clothes and put on the new clothes and there would be a transformation. I encourage you to read Romans chapter 6 from 6 through 8. It speaks of a transformation that we, as we have been dead indeed to sin, we should no longer sin. I mean, think about a prisoner who's released from prison, right? Just released from prison now, but still wears his prison clothes everywhere he goes and acts like a prisoner and not like a free man. Someone would have to tell him, the first person would have to tell him that sees him, you know what, you have to take off those clothes, put on some new clothes, or you're going to go back to jail. <laughs> so us, like also as believers, we need to take off those old clothes, those clothes of bondage of sin, those dirty clothes that, that took us into slavery. And, and notice this, and then put on the new clothes of the grace and the righteousness of God. But notice how he says you have to put them off. He didn't say keep them and wear your new clothes over. He said take off the old clothes, put them away. Put them away. Don't try to cover that old nature. Don't try to cover that off with new clothes. No, put it away. Take it off and put it off now. It speaks of an exhortation. It speaks of a transformation. But notice finally, verse 23, a renovation. All, all of us here need a renovation. 
We need to ask the Lord, Lord, come into my heart and renovate everything. Every room in my heart, you renovate it. The room of my family, the room of my, uh, room of my marriage, when it comes to my mind, when it comes to my job, when it comes to my family, renovate it. Lord, you have all access to renovate it. Notice what it says there. This transformation happens as you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How can this happen when you are renewed in the spirit of your mind? Purify your desires. Purify your motives by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. Renew your thoughts. Renew your attitudes again. Wash your mind with the Holy Spirit. Notice what happens. The Holy Spirit gives our life a new direction. Our old nature, our sinful nature, He wants that old direction. We want to go that direction that we always want, that, that, that brings us fun, that brings us pleasure. But as we say, Lord, Holy Spirit, come take over my mind. Renew my mind. Renew my mind because that's where the difference comes. You can change your clothes, but if you don't change the way you think, nothing's going to change. You can change the way you behave, the way you appear. You can change the way that you look, but if you don't change the way that you think, then nothing is going to change. So you know what's going to happen? You have to break with the past. With the past now. And only through the power of the Holy Spirit is this possible. It's not Jesus added to your old life. You know what? I'm going to keep my old life and I'm going to add a little bit of Jesus on top of there. That's not the way it works. It's the old life dies and Jesus becomes my new life now. I don't make my new life. My new life is in Jesus. It's found in Him so that we do the things that please Him. And as a result now, your mind is being renewed now. It leads to a process of conversion. Romans 12.1, we all know it. What does it say now? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice on the altar. It's holy. It's acceptable. It's pure. And don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. How does that transformation begin? By the renewing of your mind. Let the Spirit renew your mind. Because the the, the mind understands the truth of God's Word as we yield to the Spirit of God. And the renewal of the mind, the change of mind, also leads to the change of direction. A change of mind leads to a change of direction. Now, notice verse 24 as we continue reading here. And that you put on. This is the new nature that we're called to put on. We're called first to put off But finally here that you would put on your new nature. Take off the old and put on the new nature. After the renovation of the mind. After the renewal of the mind. Put on the new nature now. The new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Be transformed from that old self to the new self. So that you can say like Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah, I know those things are calling my attention. Yes, I'm getting that call from those friends. Yes, maybe I'm being tempted by that boss or by in my marriage or with my family. Yes, those things are coming against me to pull me away from Christ, but I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live in, this flesh right now, this body that I live in the flesh, I live by faith. I don't live for pleasure. I live for obedience now. You know what the cross means in your life? Obedience. 
that you don't do the things you want, you do the things that please God. Put off those old things, put on those things that now are created according to your new nature. Notice how it describes that nature, created according to God, the image of God, the new quality, the new likeness of God, and true righteousness. True righteousness speaks of your relationship with others. When it speaks of the morality or responsibility to man, and holiness speaks of our relationship to God, being set apart for God. Would you underline that word there, holiness? Because that's what you're called to. Holiness, and your holiness involves the mind. Your holiness involves the heart. What is Paul telling us here in chapter 4? That you would walk in purity. And he begins by saying, Lord, I want a, a change of mind so I can have a change of direction. I don't want to live for the vain things of this world. It's so temporary, the things of this world. I want to walk in the newness of life. I want to walk with the same mind that Christ had. So that I would not be separated from a a life with God. So that I would be able to draw near to God. But you know what happens? Lord, change my mind and soften my heart. Did you know that the nation of Israel had a problem with the heart too. In fact, they were in bondage because of it. They had hardened their hearts and they went into bondage for about 70 years to Babylon. And the Old Testament tells us that through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, that the Lord is prophesying that God would do a work again in the nation of Israel. That he would bring them out of bondage. That he would be faithful to bring them out of bondage. There are some people today that God is saying that, I want to bring you out of bondage. You've been in bondage for a long time. I want to bring you out of bondage. And you know what I'm going to do when I bring you out of bondage? If you would so willingly surrender to me, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. In fact, it says there in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, as we close right now, it says, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out that heart of stone, that stony heart, that you have. I will take out the heart of stone of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a heart that feels now, that's tender, that I can work through. A heart that receives when I speak and I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk into my statues and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. But we need to be so willing and ready to say, Lord, I'm here. I'm ready for my new heart. I'm ready, Lord. I want to come out of the bondage. I want you to give me freedom from the life of sin so that I can put off once and for all, I can put off once and for all those things that constantly weigh me down. Weigh me down. Looking into Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, that I can focus on Jesus. Let's pray.